The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. All right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. Um, Father, we just come to you today with a humble attitude to hear from you, uh, pray for power for Randall as he speaks, and pray that our hearts will be attentive and listening to what you have for us. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Amen. Thanks, Ethan. All right, good morning, everyone. Hope you're doing well. I just want to welcome you this morning. My name is Randall. If I haven't met you yet, I'm pastor here at Grace City. And uh, again, if this is your first time, I, I just want you to know that, that uh, this is a church that um, we preach the gospel every week. And, and so my hope uh, in this message that, is that as you're listening, that you're going to get encouraged and you're going to be able to kind of take a deep breath and just know that, uh, that, that God loves you. Seriously. Um, you know, I think we say that God loves me, but uh, what, is that, what does that mean? And so my hope is that you experience that um, as we go through God's word today in some way or another that you know that, um, that God does. He, he loves you. Um, so we're in this series in the book of Philippians, and uh, we're in this text, uh, Philippians 2, and we're looking at verses uh, 19 through 30. And so if you're just joining us, one of the things that we do uh, here at Grace City is we go through uh, the scriptures uh, verse by verse. And we've been going through the book of Philippians uh, verse by verse. And so we are right here at the end of chapter 2. And the topic for today that we see in, in the end of chapter two here, but I feel like is a common thread of, of different messages that I preach here at Grace City, um, is the topic of friendship. And the reason is, is because we see it all throughout the Bible. Um, but really, we don't get much coaching on friendship, do we, in our normal everyday lives? We don't really get much coaching on how to, how to be a good friend. Um, and so what we find is that throughout the scriptures, we see what it is to, to be a friend. Because ultimately, uh, Jesus says um, that he came and he's our friend. And so that's a really significant thing that we see all through the scriptures. And so what does it mean to have close friendships? Close friendships is what we're going to look at today as we look at the end of Philippians chapter 2. Now, in this passage, the Apostle Paul is is letting us in on some of the close friendships that he has uh, developed over the years of ministry that he had. And so he has a friendship that he shares with us about uh, with uh, Timothy and also a man named Epaphroditus. And we need this today. 
We need this today. Because in many ways in our culture, friendship has been so watered down that we don't even know what friendship is. One of the best analogies that I've heard of friendship is that friendships are like air or oxygen. See, the thing about air and oxygen is you don't walk around saying, I need air. I need air. You don't do that, right? You're just, just breathing. Everything's normal. You're just walking. You're just breathing. That's just a part of life. It's only when you're drowning that you're thinking, I need air. I need air. And friendships are very much like that because you don't walk around saying, I need friends. But it's not until you're emotionally or personally going under that you say, I need friends. I need friends. And so friendship is very important. See, it's all of us need them. And we were made for it. But what are some of the current challenges that you and I face when it comes to friendship in our society today? We talk about this a lot in our church, but the idea of mobility. You know, you think about our culture and the, the mobility that's possible right now in our generation more than any other generation before us. Right? You think about it like you can fly anywhere, you can drive anywhere. You ha- not with the gas prices today, but you know, you th- you, normally you could. And so we have more mobility than most generations have in the past. And on top of that, we live in a transient city. And so some of you have learned because of friends moving or new jobs or any of those types of things that uh, you have friends one moment, then they're gone the next. And so you have learned or are learning this defense mechanism um, where you're trying to not want or need friends. Because you're like, man, I just don't want to go through the process again of trying to find new friendships. See, if you live here long enough, you'll probably, again, have friends move away or they're just seasons. And so it's easy to put up that guard and say, I don't want to start over. So mobility. Another one is illusion, the illusion of friendship. Um, I'm one of those people who just, you know, I want to be friends with everybody. And so it's like, okay, you got all of these friends, right? And then on top of that, You have friends on Facebook, and then you're like, how many of these people are actually my real friends? Ronald Sharp, a professor of English at Vassar College, he teaches a course on uh, the literature of friendship. And he says, people are so eager to maximize efficiency of relationships that they have lost touch with what it means to be a friend. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. People are so eager to maximize efficiency of relationships efficiency what can I get from this person that we've lost touch with what it means to be a friend I was talking with someone recently about the way that our community is actually built um, and and how it affects us um, because of the way that it's built UCSD and some of the apartments over here and everything, the, the, the two things that they were, they were created for were, number one, um, efficiency, um, and number two, uh, I can't remember the second one, but <laughs> uh, privacy, privacy, 
Privacy and efficiency, that's what they were made for. So it was made in such a way that you didn't have to look at people as you were kind of going out the door and you were doing your own thing. And so privacy and efficiency were, were what this area and this community were kind of built for. And can you imagine the way that it's affected this community? Where we walk into a store and it's people with their earbuds in instead of a smile on their face, saying hi to somebody, right? We're guarded people. And so there's this illusion of friendship and we've kind of gone into this efficiency mode rather than really knowing what it means to be a friend. The last one is time. We live in a busy culture. Many times we don't prioritize friendships. And then we turn around, again, we don't have any. And so what difference does the gospel make when it comes to us forming and forging and sustaining close, healthy friendships? Well, Philippians 2, 19 through 30 helps us. And to give some context here, Paul is imprisoned and he is sharing his heart. Many commentators believe that Paul is throughout the book of Philippians, weaving in and out, talking about his death. You've probably seen this. He's already said it. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Like he's, death is already on his mind. And in this uh, passage in particular, um, he's using verbiage here that's unique in all of the New Testament. Some of the words he uses are found nowhere else in the Bible. Paul believes that his life is completely in God's hands. So he is now sending some of his closest friends to be with the Philippian church. Despite him being in very perilous situations and a very present danger that he's in. Now, why does he do that? Well, there's two things. It's first, there's, there's a tor- turmoil and then there's a trust. There's a turmoil, um, a relational turmoil in the Philippian church. The church is in a relational turmoil. We've kind of talked about that before. And so he's, he's calling for them not to, to be self-seeking, but to seek the interests of, of others. Uh, we looked at that at the beginning of Philippians 2. But second, he, he has this deep, abiding trust in God. In verse 19, he starts like this. I hope in the Lord Jesus. I hope in the Lord Jesus. He's putting all of his trust, all of his weight into his hope that he has in Jesus. Now, some might say, well, he just is saying that because that's kind of how Paul is. And so he's just going to say, I'm hoping in the Lord. But no, this is, this is unique here. This is specific. R.P. Martin, who's a commentator, says, nowhere else in the other references to his proposed journeys does he use this phrase. And this cannot be accidental. This means that his hopes are governed by the Lord's will for his situation. And equally, that his plans do not rest on human calculation of release and freedom. They are based on God's undertaking for him. So basically, what he's saying is that Paul is in a very, very difficult, dire, dark situation. Death is right around the corner for him. But what does he do? He says, I hope so much in the Lord that I'm going to send you some of my best friends. What happens when he sends his best friends? His best friends aren't with him anymore in the current circumstances that that he's in. And so how does Paul 
explain the close friends that he is sending to the Philippians? And what can we learn from him about the DNA of close friendships today? And so here's what they are. We're going to see all three in the text today. But they, they are built on, number one, a genuineness. Number two, a companionship. And number three, character. Genuineness, companionship, character. So the first one is genuineness. Look at verses 19 through 24. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may, uh, so that too, uh, I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with, it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Now, at this point, indications show that Luke, who's the author of uh, Luke in, in the book of Acts, and also Aristarchus, are no longer with Paul. So these are some of his other traveling mates. And Paul is, is now sending one of his few friends, Timothy, to be with them. So how does Paul describe Timothy? Verse 20, he says, for I have no one like him. I have no one like him. And then next, he says, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare? He's talking specifically about the type of person that Timothy is. Another word here for genuine is the word uh, sincerity. And so the, the word could be translated as sincerity or genuineness. And that's who Timothy is. He genuinely cares about the well-being of others. He cares about how they're doing. He's the person that's asking questions, right? How's it going? But not just on the surface. He's digging down deep to really see, no, 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 how are you doing? How are you doing? That's who Timothy is. And that's why he will be such a gift to the Philippian church. In 2016, Kate Murphy wrote an article called, Do Your Friends Actually Like You? That's a terrible thing, right? Like, do they? She says, I think of all the people with whom you, or she said, think of all the people you interact with during the course of a day, week, month, and year. The many souls with whom you might exchange a greeting or give a warm embrace, engage in chit-chat, or have a deeper conversation. All those who, by some accident of fate, inhabit your world. And then ask yourself, who among them are your friends, your true friends? Recent research indicates that only about half of perceived friendships are mutual. That is, someone you think is your friend might not be as keen on you, or vice versa, as when someone uh, you feel you hardly know claims you as a bestie. That's awkward, right? Especially for somebody like me who's like, yeah, I, you're my friend, you know? And so that's awkward, but it's also heartbreaking, isn't it? To think about that, to think about how relationships have gotten to this point. And when we think about who Timothy is, he's not that type of person. But he's the person that, that Paul says he's genuine, he's the real deal. 
He's the real deal. See, when people look at you, do they say, man, they're, they're genuine. They're, they're the real deal, right? Tony Morita, who's a commentator on this text, he says, by highlighting the warm, selfless, Christ-centered character of Timothy, Paul might also be preparing the congregation to listen to his son in the faith. Remember, there are tensions in Philippi. Paul informs the church that Timothy is a type of guy they can trust and listen to in order to resolve the matter. They can be assured that Timothy won't serve with self-centered motives, but will serve the interests of Christ, who longs for unity in his church. There is a genuineness within him. The motivations are genuine. Second, there's companionship. Companionship. Look at verses 25 through 27. I have thought it necessary to send you to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he's been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Now, there's a lot here to unpack. But Paul is now turning his attention to his other friends. So he talks about Timothy. Now he's going to talk about Epaphroditus. And so what does he say about him? Well, he, he calls him. He says, he's, he's my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need. And so to break that down, Epaphroditus, when he talks about him being his brother, this is really, really crucial. Epaphroditus was most likely a Gentile convert, non-Jewish convert. And we can tell because of his name. And Paul, calling him brother is significant because remember where Paul came from. Paul was a devout Jewish leader bent on destroying the church and the work of Jesus. We saw this in the book of Acts when we studied Acts. Now he's calling a Gentile my brother. My brother. What this is, is a radical work of grace. This is the work of a transformed heart. And I want you to to see that there are implications to this. I want you to think of the people in the culture that you look at and say, I would never want to be around that type of person. Maybe it's their political persuasion. Maybe it's just their income level, background, wherever they come from. Maybe culturally, there are experiences that you have. You say, well, I never want to be around that type of culture or people. Right, but when we think about the gospel, the barriers start to break down. The divisions start to break down because of what Christ has done in the heart. And so when Paul looks at Epaphroditus and says, this is my brother, this is a radical work of grace. See, God has torn down the walls of prejudice that would have divided them before, and now they are family because of Jesus. If we think about what the gospel message is, 
It's that you and I, we are all in the same boat. And here's that boat that we have all sinned. It says not just some, but all. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God in the book of Romans. And so what that does is it means that there's, there's a commonality amongst all of us that we all need a Savior. And that commonality is brought out in coming to the foot of the cross of Jesus and saying, my salvation is based on Jesus and Jesus alone. And so all of the bad works, all of the good works that I think I've done, all of those things fall short. And the only thing that makes it possible for me to be a Christian, a brother or sister in the faith, is Jesus Christ. There's a commonality that we have in that, that we all need it. And so Paul is leaving, in a sense, all of the work that he's done in the past to work himself towards God. He's left that in the past. He's saying, I'm holding tightly onto Jesus, and so is Epaphroditus. That's my brother in the faith. This is transformational. And in that, there's a unity that happens within the church when we have that type of mentality. Right? When we don't divide because of age and stage, we say, well, I can't relate to that generation. But we are united because of what Christ has done. And we say, we lean in together. We might not understand each other, but we love each other. And we're trying to understand and we're trying to listen. Joni Erickson Tata who, when she was younger, was in an accident. She was diving and was paralyzed from that point on. She was in a wheelchair for the rest of her life. Amazing woman of God. She says this. She says, believers are never told to become one. We are already one and are expected to act like it. Therefore, if we, are, we care anything about Christ, who is the head of the body and other Christians, the rest of the body, we simply must move beyond our comfort zones to compassionately meet needs. Do you remember when we, Paul was talking about Timothy? He said he's like my son. There is a deep bond and friendship there, and they are of different life stages. But they are friends. Do you have friends of different ages and stages? You know, that, 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 that's a sign of the gospel at work in your life, in your heart, and who you surround yourself with. A companionship that looks a lot more like Scripture than the world. And so, next he says, fellow worker. Fellow worker. Now, Kent Hughes believes that uh, Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus had no formal position as a church leader. He had no formal position. He wasn't like a deacon or an elder or anything like that in the church. He didn't have any formal position. But look at what Paul calls him. He says, he's my fellow worker. Now, think about Paul. Paul's traveled the world. He's planted churches. Right? He's preached to huge crowds and, and been in prison for the gospel. And, and Paul has done a lot. But he's saying, no, Epaphroditus is my fellow worker. He doesn't, there, there's no sense of superiority over Epaphroditus. They are equals in his, each other's eyes, but they're also equals in God's eyes. 
See, how do you forge healthy friendships? It's by seeing the value and dignity in others. It's by seeing that every person you come in contact with is a, is, bears the image of God. Right? There's a study that was done that talked about, um, I just heard this recently, about why there's so much road rage. And they said that the reason was it's like this psychological thing where we only see cars and not people. We only see cars, not people. And I remember hearing this, and then I was like, okay, um, yeah, I get that. All right. And, and, I, and, and not too long after that, I was, I was in that Nordstrom rack parking lot. And you, know, you know that one. It's really tight over there. There's a lot. Of, you can't really navigate very well. And so I'm like pulling out of this space, right, and, um, and uh, backing out. And there's, there's somebody sitting waiting for my parking spot. But they've done it in such a way that it's, it's blocked my way of conveniently coming out of the parking lot. And so I got to turn this way, and I'm just looking. I'm like, this guy. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to go around the long way to get out. And so as I'm driving, and, and Laura's in the car with me, I'm driving, and I'm going past this guy. And uh, I look over, and I'm like, hold on. That's Paul. I know him. <laughs> You know, I know him because our, our sons played soccer together. You know, like, oh, hey, Paul, what's up, man? Like, you know, how's it going? And um, immediately my heart changed. Oh, Paul can have my spot. You know, no worries, man. I'll go around the long way, you know. But before that, all I saw was a car, not a person. And how many of us allow that to happen in our hearts? And what, what the Apostle Paul here is doing is like, is like helping people to understand, like, you got to lift up Epaphroditus here. This dude is a worker, loves the Lord. And we're going to get into this later, but, but he, he says next, he calls him a fellow soldier. Paul understands the spiritual battle that we're all in. He doesn't look down on Epaphroditus but he's lifting him up, and he's saying, this dude is a soldier. We see that um, Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus uh, was physically sick. He became physically ill. It says almost to the point of death. And, um, and Paul is looking at him and saying, this guy who was sick, who, who did all of these things to, 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 to be with you, He's a soldier. And I think this is such an uplifting thing to Epaphroditus because when you get sick and when you, you fall ill, you don't really feel like much of a soldier, you know? You feel weak. I can't do anything. Look down on, like you look down on yourself. Like, why am I still sick? You know, like all of these things. You get to get discouraged. And Paul's looking at me and he's lifting him up. Like, this guy's a soldier. What a, what a kind spirit, you know? It's much like uh, when the angel of the Lord, you know the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament? Um, the angel of the Lord is basically the pre-incarnate Jesus. Angel means messenger, but it says the messenger of the Lord. And we see that when anybody comes in contact with the messenger of the Lord in the Old Testament, the messenger of the Lord, they fall down on their face, they start worshiping, and he doesn't stop them. And so pre-incarnate Jesus 
And pre-incarnate Jesus comes over to uh, Gideon. Remember Gideon? Gideon, who hadn't done anything up to this point, was really just very nervous and scared. And in Judges 6.12, it says, When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Mighty warrior. See, again, up to this point, Gideon hadn't done anything. But in, the, in this, there, there's this, this grace of calling him up and saying, this is who I see you as. You know, kindness and lifting others up, it goes a long way. <laughs> it does. And, and we live in a culture right now that loves to tear people down, don't we? That loves to tear people down. I mean, my, 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 my son, he's, he calls it, he's just like, man, you get roasted out there. You know, you get roasted. <laughs> get burnt. You know, it's just, it's just bad. That's the type of culture it is, man. We're just, we're just roasting people. You don't build friendships like that. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I don't know how anybody, you know, like, they talk about all these friends who do these roasts of their friends, and then it's like, it just goes way overboard, and you're like, whoa, and like, I don't even know if they're friends anymore, that type of thing, you know what I mean? That's what our culture does. That's not what the culture of the gospel does. We lift each other up. Because lastly, he says this, he says he's a messenger and minister. Epaphroditus is carrying the same message of the gospel. He has the same heart to minister and to help people in Philippi. See, this is a gospel culture that shapes the type of friendships and relationships that Paul had. He was encouraging those around him. And what it was was a companionship where they're linking arms, saying we're in this together with the love of God and the grace of God. Last thing we see is character. Character. Verse 28 through 30. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Lastly, Paul is now highlighting the character of his friend. See, the character is the deepest sense of who you are, your values, thoughts, choices. What does Paul say about Epaphroditus? Now, this is important. They lived in a shame-honor culture. Shame and honor culture. And for Epaphroditus to fall ill and sick like this, um, it could have been a very shameful thing that he didn't really complete the task he was trying to do because he felt, felt so ill. But Paul says this. He's, he's prepping the people. He says this. He says, receive him in the Lord. Receive him in the Lord. What does it look like to receive him in our own human nature? Hey, man, glad you're, you're better, but, you know, we could have used you a little while ago. You know, you got sick. I can't believe you. You know, like, it's you, you get fixated on what they couldn't do. You get fixated on, well, you, you know, I'm glad to see you. You're better, but 
would have been nice to have you around. You could have done some work around here. You know what I mean? Like, that's the thing. It's like, that's how the, the reception in the flesh is all about. It's like, what did this person do or what did they not do? That's how I'm going to receive you today. You are operating on the, the ways and, uh, of the world. Your value is based on what you can do. Friends, someday we're not going to be able to do as much as we're able to do today. Is that where our value is based? No. Paul is saying, receive him in the Lord. He has direct value and worth because he is a son of the king. He's in the Lord. That's your brother. That's the worker. That's a soldier right there. Man, lift him up. You know why this was so important for the Philippians to, to see? Because they already had a turmoil, a, a relational turmoil in there where they were already about themselves. And so he's going to send Epaphroditus into that and he's going to prep the people by saying, hey, you better treat my brother well. Not in, did you do this? Did you not do this type of thing? That's how we're going to treat you today. No, hey, you're going to treat him well because he's in the Lord. That's a brother. That's a soldier right there. Right? Do we get that? Right? So that's what we see here is there's like, there's a character in Paul that he doesn't value Epaphroditus like that. It's not an efficiency of relationship. He's his real friend. He says next, with all joy, honor such men. Honor such men. Paul is saying, that the type of character that his friend has is worth honoring. Do you have those types of friends? You know, do you have those types of friends that, that, that look at you and like, they honor, they, they honor you, they, they value you, they're glad that you're there? You know, it's not like, I had one of my friends come in town recently, I, had, I hadn't seen him in a few years, but we, we've been friends for like 15 years. And it was just like we just caught up and it was like we'd been together the whole time. But it was just like this honoring of like listening to each other and like kind of what has happened over the past few years. And like, oh, my goodness, I'm so sorry that you've gone through that. Like that type of thing, right? Like difficult stuff. You're like opening your heart to this person, like honoring by listening. And that's what we see is, is the Apostle Paul is saying, that's what you, you want in your life. 1 Corinthians 15, 13 encourages us this. It says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. That's kind of like a side thing that, that the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Right? It was probably a saying that around that time in, in the culture there in Corinth. But like it does matter who we surround ourselves with. The type of character of the friends that we have. And if they're going to continue to be those people that are just going to continue to tear you down or build you up. Book of Proverbs tells us all about that, about friendships. If, if you need more encouragement, go to the book of Proverbs or read about that. See, but what displayed the type of character that Epaphroditus had? Verse 30. Paul calls it out. He's one of those friends that's going to call it out. Epaphroditus is going to say, hey, man, I did. I, no. Paul calls out, he says, for he nearly died for the work of service, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. 
This dude nearly died. Like, honor what he did. You know, lift him up, encourage him. Do you have those types of friends that are around you with the character that they look at you and they say, I know what he did. And I'm gonna, he, they'll never say it, but I will for them. Because that's the, type, like, that's the type of person they are. Right, that's a friendship. That's a real deep friendship that's going on there. That's a gospel friendship. Thomas Akempis said, the measure of every man's virtue is best revealed in time of adversity. Adversity that does not weaken a man, but rather shows what he is. Epaphroditus was willing to go back after he almost died? That, that's a person of character. And you want to surround yourself with friends that, that have a, a gospel character like that. And so how can we be and also build those types of friendships? Here's some takeaways here as we wrap up. The first one is this. Evaluate your motivations for friendship. Evaluate your motivations for friendship. As believers, we got to ask ourselves, are we the ones who've fallen into the trap of just being about friendship for efficiency's sake, for our own looks, and all of those types of things? See, be honest. Like, we can, we can be honest because we know we're saved by grace. Like, that's how you know you can be honest about things. Do I use people? Are people an, a, a means to an end? Do I really know and care about others and what they're going through? Right? Am I that person or am I just waiting for them to be so interested in me that I wouldn't be interested in really what they're going through and what is going on in their life? Remember verse 21, it says, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. They seek their own interests. See, what transforms this this selfish inner behavior? Jesus, right? Jesus does. See, the gospel is that Jesus doesn't love you because you're useful to him. You get that? I'm going to say it again. Jesus doesn't love you because you're useful to him. Some of us think that we're out there just working for Jesus and that Jesus needs us. He doesn't. He is the king of the universe. He is above all things. He's created all things. He, he could create people to do that, but he didn't. Right? Jesus doesn't love me because I'm useful to him. That should be groundbreaking, earth-shattering for us to think about. That is good news. I remember my kids were watching this cartoon one day. It's a Christian one. It's about this guy, Buck Denver. And Buck Denver is going, wants to go to outer space. And so he's, he's building this rocket ship he's, because, he said, because this is what he said. He says he had this poster next to his office cubicle. Yes, in the cartoon, there's, he's sitting in his office cubicle. And, and there's a poster that says, God wants you to do great things. God wants you to do great things. And he would take this everywhere with him. And so he builds this rocket ship and he goes to outer space. And he gets to this planet where these people are like meeting him and he's talking with them. And then he pulls out this poster that he'd like taken with him everywhere. And it was put into two parts and he lost the other part. And, and, and the, one part, the one part that he had left because it had ripped 
just says, God wants you. God wants you. He's like, I'm missing the other part because you guys don't understand. The other part says the full phrase, God wants you to do great things. And they looked at it and they were like, no, I think that's the message. God wants you. Evaluate your motivations for friendship. And when you come down to the motivations and you see in the gospel that you have the greatest motivation of all, that God just wants you, then you can actually be a friend to other people, the type of friend that that friend would need, that that person would need. If you just know that God wants you. The next one is identify signs of genuine friendship. Proverbs 27.6 says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Real gospel friendship. It, it, it doesn't always tell you, friends don't always tell you the things that you want to hear. See, sometimes uh, conversations will hurt like a wound. That's what it says. It says that there's going to be friendships that you have. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. True friendship tells you the truth for your own good because it's out of love. My wife's my best friend. She doesn't always tell me the things I want to hear. But later, I come around and I circle around after I've, you know, put on a little pity party for myself and I say, you know what? You were right. You were right. You, you, you knew. Like, I'm... I was wrong in that. You know, but in the moment, my pride was hurt or whatever it might be. You know, we just celebrated 17 years of marriage. And I think, by the grace of God, I want to continue to learn more and more about what it looks like to have that type of spirit. Right? Identify those, the genuine friendship. See, this is not cynical, judgmental, rude but filled with grace and truth. And God does this in our lives. See, some of us need to hear this today because we might be treating friends like enemies because they spoke a truth to us and love that hurts, right? And so could it be that today we don't realize that they said that, or they're, they're telling us this because they're actually really our friend. Could we identify signs of genuine friendship? The last one is lasting friendships need grace and understanding. Need grace and understanding. What breaks up friendships the most, or most of the time? Suspicion, overanalyzing, jealousy, and unwillingness to fight for the relationship, thinking the worst of others, what does Paul do? He lifts up Epaphroditus, gives him a glowing review after his illness. He doesn't tear him down. He helps put others in his shoes. He's helping put others in his shoes. He's saying, you know this guy almost died. They probably wouldn't have thought about that as he was coming. But Paul wouldn't let that go. 
He says, look at what he's gone through. Proverbs 16, 24 says, Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and healing to the bones. Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and healing, healing to the bones. There's actual, like, the Bible talks about a spiritual healing, an inner healing that happens because of gracious words. Do we believe that? Because as Christians, that's what our, that's what, the word of God says. Do we believe that that's true? I was reading in my devotional this week on this verse. And here's what uh, the author Timothy Keller writes. He says, all aspects of good speech have distinct capabilities of healing various illness or ills. Um, kind speech can heal anxiety. Proverbs 12, 25. Gentle speech can extinguish anger and resentment, Proverbs 15.1. Forthright words can heal ignorance and self-deception, Proverbs 19.25 and 27.5. When Jacob asked God for the blessing he had been seeking his whole life, God gave it to him, Genesis 32.29. When we believe in Christ, we get this blessing and more. We get this blessing of like these encouraging words, these gracious words that help us. And it can heal us. And so where did Paul learn this type of friendship? Jesus. Jesus. The same Paul that says to live is Christ, to die is gain. He believed that Jesus was everything to him. And we're gonna see this in the book of Philippians. But, but he, he, he wants to know Christ. Because ultimately Christ is his best friend. You see, it was Jesus who genuinely came, genuinely came to be with us. He came to be with us, genuinely. Became our companion by becoming like us. He was our companion. He walked this earth. He went through the the, the ills of our lives and fully displayed his character. His character his impeccable character, his his perfect character by dying on the cross for us. Jesus. In John 15, 13, he says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. To lay down one's life for one's friends. Will that hit our hearts today in knowing that the greatest friend of all says, I will be your closest friend. And I will start to build friendships around you that will be a family of brothers and sisters that'll be there to encourage you along the way. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your grace. I thank you that we have in Christ everything we need. And so, Lord, teach us your ways. Teach us your heart. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.